So good morning. A pleasure to be here with you. This is my first time down to San Luis. And I uh, just want to start by expressing some gratitude. So first I want to offer my gratitude to Sharon and uh, James and Mick and Mary and all of the other folks who have helped to organize this weekend retreat and made it possible for myself and all of us to be here. So just a lot of gratitude to you. Some of, some of you are here. Some of the organizers are not here. Offer gratitude to uh, to the Buddha and uh, to my teachers, without whom I wouldn't be sitting here with you. And I also want to respectfully acknowledge the First Nation people who lived on this land for many generations before Spanish and white settlers came uh, and who have looked after this land for many generations and uh, who continue to live on and near this land, the Chumash people. So we're here to explore a particular quality on the Buddhist path that, uh, that doesn't get a lot of press. Mindfulness kind of gets all the press. It's, it's sort of in the front, in the spotlight. And uh, for good reason, uh, mindfulness is one of the most important factors uh, on the contemplative path. It's kind of the engine of insight and transformation. And mindfulness, put simply, means knowing what's happening in an unbiased and undistorted way. So a clear and direct awareness of our present moment experience. But we can be mindful, we can be aware of what's happening inside our mind, our heart, in our community or our society, uh, and still be caught and still be reactive, and still be overwhelmed or thrown around by our emotions or by life. So, for example, we can be aware of the immense challenges and suffering that we're facing in our society or on the planet today, whether it's uh, gun violence or the opioid crisis, um, or the kind of deeply rooted ongoing effects of racism in our society, income inequality, the environment, right? The list kind of goes on. So we can be aware of these things and still be overwhelmed, flooded, or lost in despair, or anger, or reactivity, or just shut down you know, numb, numbed out. So just being aware is not enough for real transformation or for uh, realizing the kind of enduring peace that's the promise of a contemplative path, individually and also collectively in our communities or in our society. So mindfulness is really just um, kind of the first foundation or stage of spiritual development. And it, it reveals what's happening. It allows us to be aware of our experience internally and externally. But we can't stop there. 
we actually have to look more closely to see, okay, how is the mind relating to what's happening? So we could say in any moment of experience, there's two things. There's what's happening, and there's how we're relating to it. Whether it's internally or externally, there's some experience or event occurring. Sights, sounds, smells, tastes, touch, thoughts, emotions, events, situations, interactions. There's what's happening. The unfolding events of our life internally and externally. And then there's how our heart and mind are with those events. Are we lost in resisting? not liking, judging, evaluating what's happening? Are we trying to control it, have more of it, make sure that, you know, try to keep what we enjoy and prevent it from changing? So in addition to mindfulness, we also need what's known as equanimity, which is the theme for our weekend. And this is a, a balanced non-reactive capacity of the mind. And so mindfulness and equanimity work together. Mindfulness is knowing what's happening, being aware in a clear and undistorted way, not seeing through the filters of the past, but just seeing and experiencing reality directly, as directly as possible. So knowing what's happening and then staying balanced not getting tossed around, not losing perspective. So I would say that in addition to mindfulness, equanimity is one of the most important qualities on the Buddhist path. And it's probably one of the least talked about and most misunderstood. It's also one of the most essential qualities for living through times like these where we're facing so many challenges as a species and as a planet, is this capacity to be aware of what's happening without getting lost in reactivity and judgment. Joseph Goldstein says that uh, one could say that the whole path rests on the maturing of equanimity. It's a powerful statement. So there are many different kinds of equanimity in the Buddhist path. Over the course of the weekend, I hope to explore with you some of the different facets of this quality and how it applies to the events of our lives, both personally and collectively, our relationships in life, the people we love and the people we're close to, even people we don't have relationships with, how to have balance in those relationships, a sense of impartiality, allowing one another to be, allowing one, giving, giving one another that space and respect to live our life without trying to control one another. And uh, a deeper kind of equanimity that's actually about our relationship with our moment-to-moment internal experience, living in a body that feels pleasure and pain, 
and how to find a, a heart of steadiness in the face of changing conditions. So the word in Pali for equanimity is upeka, uh, which the root of which comes from uh, looking upon or gazing upon. So there's the sense of perspective. Sometimes it's translated as onlooking equanimity. So there's the sense of observation that we have some space with what's happening. Sometimes it's talked about as the ability to walk evenly over uneven ground. So to stay stable in the face of changing conditions, or as one teacher likes to say, to see a noisy world with quiet eyes. So there's that sense that as everything around us is agitated, changing, fluctuating, that the heart can be at peace, the heart can be still in the midst of activity. So there's a story that's uh, often told in the Buddhist tradition. I, I would not be surprised if it occurs in other traditions, though I haven't come across it. If you have, catch me on one of the breaks, let me know, I'd love to know. A story about a king who went walking in, uh, in his royal kind of grounds and uh, stepped on a thorn, punctured his, the skin of his foot, drew blood, painful. And so the king, having lived a very pampered life, grew very angry and upset about the thorns on the ground. And he called together all of the people in his sort of retinue and uh, demanded that they do something about the thorns on the ground and said, you know, I want the kingdom to be covered in leather (laughs) so that I can walk wherever I please without walking on anything sharp that might damage my my skin. So all of the people in the retinue got together. How are we going to do this? You know, there aren't even enough animals to get that much leather to cover the whole kingdom. It's impossible. We won't be able to. But the king would get angry. You know, he would have our heads if we don't obey his orders. And so finally, one of the ministers has an idea and says, I think I can convince the king otherwise. The minister goes to the king and says, Lord, it will be very costly to cover the whole kingdom with leather. It will drain the royal coffers. We hardly have enough enough animals or skin to cover even the royal royal grounds, let alone the whole kingdom. But we have come up with a solution. We can take the leather and put it around your feet. Shoes, exactly. So how much of our lives do we spend trying to cover the ground with leather? How much of our lives do we spend trying to arrange all of the conditions of our home and our relationship and our job and our community to be just right so that we can walk without stepping on a thorn? How much energy and effort do we put into controlling our world to prevent unpleasant experiences? 
So one of the trainings of contemplative practice is to learn how to wear shoes, <laughs> is to learn how to develop the heart, not so that we have a thick skin, that's not the metaphor, but so that we can, we can come into contact with things that are sharp or painful or unpleasant and not be damaged by it. that we can have experiences in life that are difficult without being broken or becoming bitter, that there's a strength and a resilience to the heart. <clears throat> so equanimity is this quality of balance, and it's described as a balance that comes from wisdom. It's a balance that comes from understanding the nature of life that sees the whole range of joy and sorrow, the ups and downs of life, and stays even because it understands the nature of things, that this is part of life, that life includes all of this. One of the images that's used to uh, illustrate the the peaceful and wise quality of equanimity is the analogy of a grandparent watching a grandchild play. I heard some folks before uh, we started talking about the, the joy and wonder of being a grandparent. I have not yet experienced. You can, you can even if you're not a grandparent, can imagine... You know, having lived as many years maybe as you've lived and having seen changes of life, the successes and the failures and the gains and the losses and the ups and the downs, you kind of just have to, you just know, you know, this is the way things go sometimes. It's like the first time you ever got a flat tire on your bike or a vehicle and it was a big disaster, right? And after the third or fourth time, it's like, okay, it's just another flat tire, We'll get it fixed, you know. I'll be a little bit late. It's not the end of the world. We've been through it a number of times. So if that grandparent is watching the child playing in the sandbox and the child breaks its shovel, toy shovel, the child starts crying and comes over to the grandparent. Right? So the equanimity is that capacity that says it's okay. Shovels break. You know, if the grandparent were to get down on their knees and start, well, you oh, no, the shovel, that wouldn't be so good, right? So that's, that's one side, this kind of, we get lost in things, we get overcome with reactivity. Or on the other side, what uh, equanimity often gets mistaken for is indifference. The grandparent says, it's just a shovel, kid, get over it. You know, that's not equanimity either. This kind of cold, hard-heartedness, kind of brushing things off. No, there's a sense of connection. We understand that it can be hard to lose a shovel because we've been there, and it's okay. It's just a shovel. So equanimity gives us the sense of inner strength, a kind of fearlessness to experience the changes of life 
without being overwhelmed or flooded by them. And then because of that balance, because of that strength and resilience inside, equanimity actually allows us to respond with some forethought, with some clarity and wisdom, rather than reactivity, rather than this kind of frenetic energy, oh my God, I have to do something. So the theme of balance runs throughout the whole teachings in the Buddhist path. In our meditation practice, we're always balancing different factors. We're balancing energy and calm, concentration and tranquility. Uh, Sorry, concentration and effort. And so one one of the roles of equanimity is to balance the different energies in the mind, to balance the devotion and inspiration of faith with the clarity and groundedness of wisdom, to balance the tranquility and stability of concentration with the aliveness and the vitality of energy and effort. So equanimity has this balancing capacity. And in life, we, we need this kind of balance. If we only look at the bright side of things, you know, everything's wonderful, everything's perfect just as it is, then we don't act, we don't respond. We lose compassion, the ability to stay engaged. But if we get cynical, if we only look at the dark side, then we become paralyzed or bitter. And again, we're frozen, we don't act. One of the images that's used to describe equanimity is like a mountain. There's a line in the Dhammapada that says, as a solid mass of rock is not stirred by the wind, so a wise one is not moved by praise and blame, by the changing conditions of our life. So that sense of wind blowing over a mountain, a mountain doesn't move. It's steady, it's stable, it's grounded. And the wind just kind of passes over it. So, balance born of wisdom. I want to say a little bit more about equanimity, kind of sketch out the territory that we'll be exploring, and then, uh, and then maybe do some practice together. And over the course of the weekend, we'll sort of move between three or four different configurations of spending time together. One would be kind of like this, with me sharing some thoughts for you to reflect on and consider. Another would be silent practice, maybe with a little bit of guidance, but to really just take it in and let the mind get quiet and settle and just be with our own experience directly in sitting and in walking. And then the the fourth would be more interactive, so having some questions and discussion about any of the themes that I'm offering um, or other things related to your life or meditation practice. So I've said some about what equanimity is. I want to say a little bit about what equanimity isn't. So first and foremost, equanimity doesn't mean not feeling doesn't mean numbing out. It means not being shaken or overwhelmed by our feelings. 
So equanimity actually gives us the space to feel what's happening without getting spun out and turned around inside. The good, the bad, the pleasant, the unpleasant, without drowning, without getting lost in it. So it doesn't mean not feeling or being numb. It means having the space to feel what's happening without becoming overwhelmed. Equanimity also doesn't mean being calm all the time. Right? I'm so equanimous. <laughs> Nothing can touch me. That's not equanimity. That's phony equanimity. It means staying balanced and centered in the midst of things. I was spending time with um, a colleague of mine who had recently taught to retreat with George Mumford. You know who George is? He's a mindfulness teacher on the East Coast who coached the LA Lakers and some other basketball teams. He has a book about um, athletics and mindfulness. And uh, George was telling a story about Michael Jordan on on the court and that he had this quality, whatever was happening in the game or around him, there is a stillness, a quality of being centered in the midst of all of the activity. That's, a, that's a, an aspect of equanimity. It doesn't mean that we're calm. It means that there's a ground, there's a centeredness within the midst of activity. So there's a word in Pali that gets at this, tatra majatata, kind of a fun word, tatra majatata. So for those of you who have done some study, majja, like the majjima nikaya, Majima Patipada, the middle path. So Majja means middle. And uh, so Tatra Majatata means right there in the middle or in the middleness of things is another translation. So there's that sense of being in the middle, in the midst of everything, rather than the way we can think about spiritual practices. I need to get away from everything, right? I need to escape. I need to disconnect that's not equanimity. There's a, there's, a, there's a role for seclusion. There's a time and a place to withdraw in order to look inward and cultivate certain qualities to come to a retreat like this and put everything down. But the purpose of the practice is to be in the flow of our life in a grounded and balanced way. Another image that's used by uh, a colleague of mine is the image of surfing. So when one is surfing, not getting thrown around by the waves, able to ride the waves, but there's a a sense of deep connectedness with the water. You can imagine if you've never been surfing, to actually stay and ride a wave, there needs to be a, a, a deep refinement of sensitivity to the movement and the energy of the water and the swell and its changing nature. So even as one is riding on the surface, there's a deep sense of connectedness, a responsiveness that's dynamic. So it doesn't mean being calm. It means being in the middle of things without losing our center. It also doesn't mean not caring. Equanimity doesn't mean indifference. This is one of the classical uh, near misses known as the near enemy of equanimity, not caring or indifference. 
Sometimes it's called stupid equanimity. <laughs> the equanimity of not knowing. The equanimity of ignorance. That sense of like, well, I'm just not going to pay attention to anything, so then I'll be peaceful. This is an escape. This is actually a subtle form of aversion, of not wanting to be with things, a kind of defensiveness. This is a, from one of my teachers, Ajahn Sachito. He writes... Apathy has a dulling quality to it, an ignorance, a shrug. There's no shrug in equanimity. It has clarity, sensitivity, and stability, a wise space. So it's not that sense of, I don't care. There's no shrug in equanimity. Doesn't mean not caring. And finally, it doesn't mean not taking action not speaking up, being a doormat, or being passive, right? I'm equanimous, I'm just not going to get involved, I'm going to stay out of things. That's also not equanimity. Equanimity means not reacting habitually, compulsively, obsessively. It means that our actions come from a place of clarity, from a place of of carefulness and and consideration rather than being on automatic or, or reacting habitually. So again, the metaphor of equanimity is not a kind of disconnected, cold uh, distance, but the sense of space, having a big space to live in. There's a uh, sutta where the Buddha is giving advice to his son. We might look at it a little bit later in more detail. And one of the analogies that he gives to his son for the development of his meditation is he says to make your meditation like space that is unformed, not established anywhere. And so just as all kinds of things can pass through the space and it's not affected, you can throw paint at space, you're not going to paint a picture. Make your mind, make your heart, make your meditation like space. So that's one of the metaphors for equanimity. Uh, Gil Fronsdale, who runs the Insight Meditation Center up in Redwood City, has a beautiful analogy. He says, imagine getting into an elevator. And the elevator is pretty small. And there are a couple of people in the elevator with you happen to have very strong body odor, like really, really pungent, unpleasant body odor. In this small elevator, might be uncomfortable, might feel kind of tight inside, resistant. Okay. And then imagine being with those same people in the middle of a large amphitheater. Or a great big park. Same person, same odor, different experience, right? Because there's plenty of space. There's not that sense of being cramped and locked in. So making, expanding the sense of spaciousness of our mind so that the experience that we're happening, having doesn't actually need to change, but the mind's relationship to it can change because there's, there's, there's a sense of spaciousness inside. 
So when equanimity is developed, we have this kind of sense of having a very wide space to live in. There's space for everything. And when we open the heart and the mind beyond the narrow confines of our preferences, there's a kind of freedom that comes from that. There's a saying in the Taoist tradition, you forget your feet when your shoes are comfortable. You forget your waist when your belt is comfortable. But who knows the comfort of forgetting what is comfortable? What happens when we let go of our preferences, our attachment to having things be just the way we want them? This is getting at the potential of equanimity, a mind without edges, without resistance, that's spacious and open. Anything can happen. Anything can occur internally or externally, and the mind stays steady. So this quality of equanimity that begins as a kind of balance and even-mindedness, when it's fully mature and developed, becomes a, a, a kind of unshakable quality. In the Mangala Sutta, the Buddha says, when touched by the vicissitudes of life, one's heart remains unshaken, sorrowless, stainless, and secure. This is the highest welfare. This is the potential for developing equanimity to a very high level. So in light of what our mind normally does... (laughs) When difficult things happen or when we experience something unpleasant, you can see that uh, it takes some work. Usually life is kind of like a roller coaster and we're along for the ride. So equanimity grows slowly over time. It's not something you can turn on. It's like a, a fruit ripening on a tree. You can't rush it. You just have to allow the conditions, the sunshine and the rain and time, to let that fruit ripen. It grows through our practice, through actually feeling the ups and downs of our life, really being present for those experiences. It grows through patience, through reflection and insight, really considering things from a certain perspective of wisdom. As a, as a practice, practicing with equanimity is generally not comfortable. Equanimity itself is peaceful, but the road there is bumpy. Right? To find balance, we need to be out of balance. Ever learn to ride a bike or walk a balance beam? You have to feel what it's like to be out of balance in order to come into balance. So the process of understanding and embodying equanimity means experiencing the lack of equanimity. Does that make sense? And that's not comfortable. It means being present with our reactivity, our resistance, our not liking things, our wanting to manipulate and control and hold on, our attachment to our preferences. 
but it's by being with those states of being out of balance and feeling this is not peaceful, this is not settled, my heart is agitated and uncomfortable, that we learn how to arrive at that state of balance and poise and spaciousness that allows things to be the way they are. And we're up against a lot in, uh, in developing equanimity. You know, we're working against biology to a certain degree. Our hardwired conditioning to prefer pleasure over pain, which is adaptive and makes sense physiologically, right? But then starts to take over our world. It, it, we become obsessed with that project. We're also working against very strong forces in our culture that is, that's designed to, you know, keep things as comfortable as possible so that we don't pay attention to the results of the way our economy or society is structured. So the entertainment industry, you know, is designed to keep us distracted, continually seeking uh, a new experience with some pleasure in it. And the kind of fast pace of our society, the sort of instant gratification uh, ethos is antithetical to the steady observation that's necessary for the development of equanimity. So the pace of life today the pressures of modern society keep our nervous system on a state of often like this high alert, low level of arousal where we're always kind of on edge about to do something else. So to develop equanimity, we actually need to pull back from that habitual pattern of being continually aroused, rushing, seeking something, coming into a state of more balance inside, a little bit more slowed down. So one of the conditions that's necessary for the development of equanimity is this kind of uh, settledness, gathering our attention, slowing down, coming back in to our embodied experience to actually be aware of and feel what's happening so that we can study what it's like to be in balance and out of balance. Another primary condition for the development of equanimity is a sense of well-being. We need some ground. In order to face the difficulties of life, in order to learn how to be with the hard bits, to meet the challenges and the ups and the downs, we need some resilience. You know, we need some resource inside, some strength before we can be with those challenges. Otherwise, we just, we just get flattened, you know. If the, heart is, if the heart doesn't have a place to rest inside, and we get hit with something difficult, 
You know, we all know that experience, right? Sometimes it feels like the waves of life just pummel us, just one thing after another after another. And maybe the first one we can handle and the second one we can handle. But sometimes by the third or the fourth, there isn't that base. There isn't that well of strength and resilience inside to keep meeting the losses, the challenges, the hardships. So some of the work of equanimity is actually just building that groundwork a basis of strength and resilience inside. And a lot of the path of development in the Buddhist practice is about strengthening those qualities, living an ethical life, having a sense of integrity, so that we feel good about ourselves. So that when we wake up in the morning, there can be a smile on our face. You know, that we're actually, we're not, we're not harming anyone and we're act- actively contributing to society. We're actively working to improve the conditions of those who are suffering. And that brings a joyfulness to our hearts. It brings a sense of upliftment inside. Developing qualities like gratitude, like kindness and patience, these bring a bright quality to the heart, a buoyancy to life. And mindfulness is key in developing these resources because it allows us to identify them, to notice them, to notice gratitude or patience or kindness or generosity when those impulses occur. Mindfulness alerts us to the presence of wholesome qualities and then allows us to use and grow and develop and deepen in those resources. So... Where I'd like to begin this morning is with taking some time to lay that groundwork. In fact, we could spend the whole weekend just developing this kind of inner base of resource, of well-being and contentment and ease and gratitude, of strengthening the heart, and our time would be very well spent. But I... so. I want to take at least some time to settle in that way and to kind of prime the pump, so to speak, with some of the, these qualities that are nourishing for our hearts, as both as a preparation for our exploration this weekend and as kind of like as a pointer or a reminder, like as an indication of this is a central part of the path. Don't overlook this. Come back to this in your daily practice, in the trajectory of your spiritual development. Take time for building a solid foundation. So how do we build a solid foundation? How do we develop these resources? I'll say just a few more words, um, and then maybe uh, we can do a little bit of movement together. We've been sitting for a while, so we'll do some movement, and then we'll uh, have a period of, uh, of meditation. So in terms of developing uh, a base of well-being and inner resource, uh, important first to look at the external conditions of our life and to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves. 
You know, are we getting enough physical activity and exercise? Are we eating well? These are foundations for spiritual practice. Are we engaged in activities that bring joy to the heart? Something creative or artistic, volunteering, service, something that brings life and energy and pleasure externally. Who do we spend time with? Very, very important on the contemplative path is the company that we keep. In fact, one of the uh, two of the things that the commentaries uh, on the early texts point to for the development of equanimity are the people we spend time with. One is to say, to not spend time with people who, the translation is people who go crazy. (laughs) That sense of people who get so swept up in things, so kind of not just passionate, but really lost in either the, the negative reactivity or even just the craze of a fad or you know, to not spend time with people who have that level of agitation in the heart. And on the other side, to spend time with people who have a, a, a centeredness and a coolness in their heart. And that kind of rubs off on us. So looking at the external conditions of our life, you know, ensuring that we have enough nourishment in all of the various dimensions of being, of being human, our relationships, our activities, healthy touch and pleasure, movement, these things. And then internally, looking at what we do with our mind and our attention and the kinds of qualities that we're developing. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support Oren's work, you can donate at orenjsofer.com forward slash support. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.